Hello, my fine friends. Thank you for choosing my podcast to listen to. We're powered by ACAS Plus. You can join uh, ACAS Plus if you want to get lots of bonuses. Google Rahalastapa and ACAS Plus and you'll get right there. There's lots of fun stuff to get. Um, Rahalastapa tour is nearly over. 21st of March, I'm at Bedford Corn Exchange. I'm talking to Olaf Falafel, who's a very funny children's author and stand-up comedian, and Al Murray, the pub landlord and historian man. And a friend of mine, uh, it should be fantastic, who went to Bedford, went to school in Bedford. It should be amazing. There's plenty of tickets left for that one. Uh, Glasgow on the 27th and Hull on the 28th. They're both sold out, but do keep checking the sites for returns. And uh, occasionally we put some comps back on sale, so there may be a chance to buy tickets. The main thing, though, is that I am going to be on tour doing stand-up, and I would love you to come. Uh, it's uh, from... It starts officially in May, but so uh, there's a few tryouts in April and March. So I'm at the Bill Murray. I'm at um, various places, Luton Hat Factory and uh, the Berry Hedge End. I don't even know where that is before going into a big tour where I'm going all over the place. It's selling in various degrees. Glasgow sold out. They've added an extra date. Uh, Chorley sold out, joined the waiting list. Uh, but a lot of the others have plenty of tickets. So... Do go and come to see that. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour for all those tour dates. RichardHerring.com slash Rahalastapa for the remaining Rahalastapa dates. And uh, yeah, and then I'm going to take a little break from doing Rahalastapas. It'll be nice. We've got loads in the bank. Uh, so I hope you're enjoying them. I think there's some very high quality ones from this tour. Uh, so do keep listening. Do keep telling your friends. RichardHerring.com for all your Richard Herring needs. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy another Rahalastapa. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, hello. Uh, welcome to the Tloyfan Cymru Wales stage. This event is sponsored by the table and the chair. Whoa. I don't know which ones. That's yeah, I don't know. Okay. Um, and I don't really need to, uh, I don't need to introduce either of us probably. I'm Natalie, this is my friend Richard. He'll be <laughs> signing copies of Can I Have My Ball Back? Here it is. You don't have to read it as though you're being examined on it, but I have. Oh, look at that. That's I know, very impressive. I've really read that book. Um, <laughs> he'll be signing in the festival bookshop outside in the coach house immediately after the event. Um, you're allowed to ask him questions in the latter part of this event. And I am uh, charged with reminding you that the cafe and the exhibition in the castle are open to all festival attendees. So go and have a poke around if you want to. That's something Richard will be talking about in a minute, actually. Um, Richard, <laughs> not a link I was expecting, but I've enjoyed it now. Um, I think we shared an Edinburgh venue the year you did the show Talking Cock. So I would say I probably know more about your genitalia 
<laughs> than I do about most men's. Good. Um, but I, I now know way, way more than I did, it do. you know, before last week. So. Yeah, well, that's the sort of irony of this happening to me. It is. Uh, it's this something you point to, to, isn't it? Uh, that uh, I had testicular cancer last year, which is what this book is about. But, uh, yeah, I'd done so many things that then linked... Into this, I'd done a show that was an answer to the vagina monologues called Talking Cock 20 years ago, and uh, so I'd covered the other part of the genitals quite heavily, but not the balls. Um, so I just don't know where I'm going for the third book. I think it, <laughs> I think it'll be after around the corner. Um, I don't know if that's going to be as, as much of a, a, a headline grabber if I the, if I go for the anus. I don't know, uh, but um, but yeah. So that, and I did a show called Hitler Mustache, in which I grew a Hitler Mustache for a year, and that, then I've ended up with one ball like Hitler as well. So you know, I'm, I sort of there's a lot of things that uh, and the one that I don't mention in the book. I did a short film in which I played a man who'd removed his genitalia while his wife was away. So it's like everything I've been doing has yeah. been leading up to this, leading up to this moment uh, of, uh, of losing a testicle. I'm sorry about yeah, it's that. It's very sad. It's very yeah. sad. Well, we'll talk in a minute about your coping strategy, um, since it's somewhere on the stage, I think. Um, <laughs> so you first noticed the problem in early 2021... Yeah, basically. It wasn't the ideal time. No, it was, you know, I, I'd, I'd, in 2020 I'd thought, oh, this would be a bad time to get cancer with yeah. uh, COVID going on, which obviously it was, and, you know, and I'd, but I'd, I'd, there's never been any cancer in my family, really, and I'd, and I'd, I'd sort of, you know, you always think these things will happen to someone else. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, an, I'm an older guy, and uh, testicular cancer, you know, generally, but not exclusively, happens for, to younger men, sadly. Um, so I wasn't really expecting... I'd even done a campaign about testicular cancer, encouraging men to check themselves, and then never really done it myself. Uh, so so, so about, about 10 years before. So, yeah, it, it was sort of towards the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, I just sort of noted... It felt like things were a bit heavier, and, and, and it felt like... I mean, it felt, to be honest, like both my balls had got a bit bigger, but you sort of get, like, a bit paranoid about when you, when you start to worry about this sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and there weren't lumps and bumps on there, which is what I thought, you know, you'd be looking out for for cancer. And so, I, and I also thought I was 53, then I'm 55 now, and I'd done a joke in my, in my last stand-up show about how, uh, as a... As a man, gravity starts taking its effect on you, and you know. And every time I sit down, you avoid sitting on your testicles. You have to sort of get them swinging on pendulums so they're up there, and then you can sit down. <clears throat> it hadn't actually ever happened to me, but it was you know, it's just a sort of trope of being middle-aged. But I did sit on one of my balls, and that was sort of the first sign. But but I thought, oh, I'm old now. This is I'm, I've just become old, yes. and this is the thing that happens. So I put I put it off for a little while. Um, and uh, and didn't I, I, my, my oncologist at the end said he was impressed how quickly I came in, but the whole thing was cancerous, so it must have been there going for for quite a while. Um, but uh, yeah, so I noticed it a difference and put it off a little bit as, uh, as often men do, and and felt like this isn't the time to go to my GP with a massive knacker. He's, he's got things to, yeah, he's he's got things to worry about other yeah. than me <laughs> worrying about that. Uh, but my wife uh, convinced me it was worth uh, ringing up and, and just getting it checked out, which luckily I did. And yes. they, they took it very seriously straight away, so it was good. Since she is busy working this weekend, yes. I feel completely able to say in her absence, Katie is an actual saint. <laughs> I'm so glad that you met, and now we can continue. Um, <laughs> She's great. Because I think it is... It's something that you do throughout the book is to basically say, um, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of 
pretending at this. You know, I haven't got a really bad cancer. I've got the curable kind. I only had to have a tiny bit of chemo. Yeah. I haven't really... And even now, you're like, oh, yeah, I did this video saying that people should check their bodies, and then I didn't do it. There was a pandemic on, and it was actually quite... Uh, quite a lot of people didn't go to their doctors. Yeah. So I'm not sure how much... I mean, by all means, take the blame if you want. But I think it was actually just a really scary time to be ill with anything, but yeah. particularly with anything that definitely wasn't COVID. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was. It was a weird thing. But I think, you know, and you, you, it's, I've, I've had a lot of men contact me about issues like this and some of them similarly putting things off. I'm just, you know, I'm just, you're worried about it so you don't get it checked out, which is obviously insane. Yes. So if, because also it's probably nothing. If you, if you have something in this area, there's lots of... Uh, I discussed in the book all the other things it could be, which, in fact, my GP thought it was, would, was one of these when, when I went in. So I, I had this moment thinking, oh, phew, I'm fine. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, go, if you're worried about it, go and get it checked. And if it's nothing, they'll say, good, it's nothing. Uh, and I've, I've, I've had both experiences, in fact, where you go into the... get it scanned and they go, well, this is something, which is quite sad. And then I've been in subsequently and it wasn't anything... And it's quite a joyous moment. So no one, no one cares. No one's going to be cross with you that you don't have testicular cancer. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. what are you doing wasting our time with your perfectly healthy balls? Um, so go and see, go and see GB. Would you know that's part of the point of wanting to talk about it is just to, uh, I, you know, again, it's a, it's a theme throughout a lot of my work is, is, is trying to get men to talk about stuff and trying to get men to be open, which is what Talking Cock was all about. It's sort of what about the problem with men. My previous book was, was about um, why, you know, why men are so obsessed with International Men's Day on International Women's Day when, uh, and not when it actually happens. Um, so, you know... It, Your it, campaign to, to make that a, a phenomenon has raised... <laughs> more money than I would have believed possible. Will you talk? I know it's not to do with the book, but it is... Uh, do you guys know this? On International Women's Day, which is... When is it, Richard? March the 8th is International yeah, Women's Day. Yeah, on International Women's Day, Richard takes to Twitter, and every single time a man says, why don't we have International Men's Day? What do you do, Richard? I reply and say it's November the 19th. So, you know, men think there isn't one, and there is one. And then the one year, I actually, uh, as well as tweeting them... I, uh, I did a scheduled tweet to them all as well, saying, it's today, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, a so, lot of people would describe that as petty, but not me. <laughs> um, so I don't do it anymore because it became a bit overwhelming and a bit sort of weird in both ways. But yeah, yeah I mean, amazingly, I did it for 10 years or maybe more than that. And for seven years, I just thought, oh, this is a fun, stupid, you know, self-defeating thing to do. It's a sort of bit, uh, you know, of an, imp- an impossible task. Sisyphus, is that the Yeah, guy? very much in the spirit yeah. of your impossible uh, tasks. Uh, and, um, and then someone said, oh, you should try and raise money. And I sort of, one year, did it kind of quite casually, and it raised about 15 grand and for Refuge, which was great. And Refuge yeah. went, this is amazing, thank you. And I said, oh, well, let's try it properly next year. And it, I think the first year it raised 100 and... Seventy thousand pounds or something. I mean, if over two or three years, I mean, it's not. That's where Twitter is an amazing thing, and I hope it survives because you can do good things on there and you can publicise things. And people, because I'd done it for so long, people appreciated the you know the stupidity of what I was doing and chucked in a tenner. And it was just watching this page go up ten thousand pounds every hour was just. I mean, what the fuck is going on? But you know, that's to turn men's stupidity into something positive for. For the women was uh, was 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 very nice, but uh, but yeah, but that, that's uh, 
that's just you know it, it was never my intention as with most things I just see the comedy and then we'll see what comes out of the comedy yes if you've ever wondered why all the lady comics love Richard that's why <laughs> by the way but because you have this incredibly childish sense of humour and have always had it yes do you think you're actually better placed to talk about stuff that other people find embarrassing because in a way I mean I've known you for quite a long time your embarrassment meter is set higher than I've ever seen it activated <laughs> ever ever so, yeah, but isn't that this sort of a comedian's job, I think, is to talk about the stuff that you can't... And I, that's what I found very freeing about coming back to stand-up and being very honest in stand-up even, and, and, and making myself the victim of most of the jokes. So yes. if, I, if I would... T- some comedians don't do that. Some comedians make themselves the heroes of all their jokes. But I, for me, it was like, if I'm going to laugh at anyone, it's got to be myself, first of all. So I was sort of happy to talk about humiliating sexual encounters or, or, other, or, or you know, go deeply into... Uh, into uh, men's hang-ups about their genitals in previous shows because I think you know once you see no I you know I sometimes tell a story on stage and think oh, the ones that I thought oh can I tell this story about then I did it there was the one that the stand-up which I remember that I I, I vacillated most about doing that was then the most satisfying one was about uh, I was having I was in bed with a girl and I and she was giving me a blowjob uh, and I said that's right suck my big cock. Uh, and then she stopped what she was doing, looked up at me, said, well, average size cock. <laughs> uh, and then I had Sorry a bit... Then, then, I had a bit <laughs> then in routine, I had a bit of argument about whether that was the trend case or blah, blah, blah. But, but I was so embarrassed about the fact that I'd said, suck my big cock. That was, that was the thing. Yes. That the actual quite, size of your cock was irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, compared it's, not, the, it's not the yeah. rest of it. It's just the embarrassment of having to admit to a room full of people that you said that, which we probably have... Many of us have probably done at some point, regardless of the size of I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. <laughs> it's a show of big cocks. Um, <laughs> so, but, but having done it and getting laughter from it, and, re- and you, it actually frees you. And I think that's really having looked at the, you know, with Talking Cock and the problem with men, realising how much pent-up frustration there is in men. Uh, they're, they're worried about something, scared about something, and they don't talk about it. And if you just, we're talking, you know, there's those sort of three main issues of size, erections, you know, all these things that, that men were worrying about. And I did a questionnaire for that. And so I got a lot of very personal responses about, about how men felt. And like men with very average penises worrying they had tiny penises and it ruining their lives. Mm. And you kind of go, just if you talked about this to anyone, that would be, you wouldn't be living with this burden. So I just want to get people talking, but I'm, my main focus is to make people laugh, you know. So I, I, I think a comedian's job is to get laughs. I think at my own expense is the best way to do that. But I think if you can squeeze a, a message or two in there, then that's a good thing. Which obviously with this book, it was, that was always going to be part of it. But I was, you know, I was sort of fascinated um, having gone through this and. Um, you know, obviously it's not nice to have any operation. It's sort of a weird thing to lose part of your genitalia. But there's so, the, the testicles are so associated with masculinity. Yes. Uh, and whether losing one makes you less masculine, but why are testicles associated with masculinity and, why, and strength when they're this, this sort of weird, very fragile body part? Um, 
it, it, I, that I thought was fascinating. So, you know, well, the minute this happened, and as a comedian, and you're a, as a comedian, you know how this is, something bad happens to you, and you think, oh, there might be something in this, and this could be a show, and oh, this is quite good, I've got testicular cancer, because I can do a, show, do a book about it. So, I mean, unlike any other people, that's the way you, you would think. But, you know, I, I, yeah. I immediately knew there's lots to explore, there's lots to unwrap in this. So it's about, the book's about my personal journey, and it's about the difficulties of going through that, but it's about, you know, and, and from a personal point of view about uh, the positives that came out of this and, the, you know, and, the, and, you know, understanding your mortality and understanding the importance of your family, which obviously is uh, not something I hadn't thought of before. But, but it's also about masculinity and, you know, and, uh, and, and, and why we have this weird fixation with why men are obsessed with their genitals but don't ever really properly talk about them or think yeah. about them. But I, I think there's a... There's a danger that people could think that you've told jokes about this sort of after the fact in order to put together the show or the podcast. But in fact, your entire diagnosis and treatment is punctuated by you making really stupid jokes <laughs> at doctors and nurses and enjoying yeah. them making jokes back at you. And I, I, it, I feel like it must have helped you get through what was obviously quite a painful and, yeah, and no, stressful def- time definitely but you know I've, all, but I've, I've always treated everything for comedic value and always tried to see the funniness in everything and it would be yes. and, it and you would, married a comedian I did marry so, a comedian you know. it would be crazy to go oh no now something bad's happened to me I'm going to be very serious about it you know it's it's not nice getting cancer I didn't know it was definitely cancer for a, a big uh, period of it because until it was out they couldn't diagnose it which right. was you know annoying um, but you know if you're going to get cancer Testicular cancer is the funniest one, <laughs> and it's okay. you know, and it's also the, the it, it, you know, it is the easiest one to treat because it's sort of not in your body, uh, and it's and it is got a, luckily a very high survival rate. Um, so you know, I think it's it, it, I think if it had been you know my friend Tony who I talk in, about in the book had liver cancer and then eye cancer and then died. Uh, it's harder to be funny about that, but he was equally was funny about that. He went to have an eye removed, uh, and it was quite a gruesome-looking tool to take it out as he was just about, about to be put under, and uh, he said to the doctor, be careful, you'll have someone's eye out with that. <laughs> Which I think, you know, it's, I, I didn't actually have... The, I had a, a joke lined up, and I didn't have the bravery to do it in the situation. Yeah. Whereas, whereas, you know, he, he did. And I think that's... You know, that's one of comedy's great things is when we're faced with something we have no control over, where we're faced with something that is sort of defeating us, we're able to laugh in the face of that, you know. So laughing in the face of cancer and death uh, and, you know, possible death, I think is, is a perfectly valid response and a much better way of getting through. I wanted to be positive. I saw it was, there were so many positives from all of this, just in terms of, you know, realizing, I think just resetting your brain to go, okay, look, I'm in my mid-50s, you know, I might not die of this, but I could die of anything yeah. very soon, you know. So I, I've got young kids, and that was the, you know, I had a big wobble when I, uh, when I got the call from the GP, even though I knew there was something up. The GP kind of, who'd been quite um, jovial and funny when I'd gone in to see him, was suddenly very shaky-voiced and, um, and wouldn't even say the word cancer after having said to me, if I was a betting man, I'd say, this is definitely not cancer. It's <laughs> sort of this glib way at the... Uh, and, uh, and I could hear my three-year-old son at the time laughing in the next room. And, you know, and that was a moment where you go, oh, shit, you know, my friend died and left his kids behind and I'm going to die and leave these kids behind. And that, was, you know, that wasn't a moment where I was laughing... 
though, you know, quickly, because I realised it sort of quickly turned into sort of self-pity rather than worrying about my kids, and there's the joke, is that yes. I'm, I'm worried about my wife finding someone else who'll drink all my whiskey. Yes. Um, <laughs> that, yes I've been saved, that I've been saving up, you know, it's, anno- it's annoying, isn't it, to think yeah. of, you've got a nice 20-year-old tw- whiskey, I've stopped drinking, so I don't even know why I was worried about it, but someone else is going to be drinking that, and I, you know, stupid old dead Richard Herring there, saving it up for a special occasion that never came. So you find the funniness in everything, and I think so many funny things happen, just like little mistakes, and, and, and you know, the process of having your balls scanned is, is really weird and comedic, where they sort of give you, they give you a gown, and, they, and they're sort of desperate to cover up your penis, you cover up your penis and lift it away, obviously, so they've got a proper view, but you've got this modesty... Black little bits of tissue over yourself to protect yourself, and you're just there with your balls and your ass hanging out, and someone's it's sort of like you know you've got to find that funny. I mean, Whatever. never go for a smear test. Is all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no one saw my cock, so everything's fine. That's, thank goodness. No, that's, but you my, at, my massive cock. Yes. Let me just check. Yes, that's in my notes. Um, you made this work all the way through the diagnosis, the treatment, all of it. You were still making podcasts. Yeah. You were still blogging. And so you didn't... You, you presumably had the option to not do that. And Katie makes you think about it before you kind of go on the record. Because yeah. once you've said it, you for sure can't take it back. Yeah. But... I think probably it kept you afloat, didn't it? Yeah, I think it was important to really push on. And I think what's interesting about that whole year is I kind of had things that I had to do and I, had, and I set myself a couple of challenges that I think were important in just saying, right, I wanted to get fitter and I wanted to run a half marathon and I, and I was doing Taskmaster Champion of Champions, which I'd have been very annoyed about having to not do that. So I ended up doing the task for Taskmaster three weeks after my operations, which was a little bit earlier than I... Should have done, but that was the that was the latest that they could do the filming. But I was, you know, I didn't want it to impact. So I did a podcast on the eve of my operation. Uh, I talked to um, Mary Lynn Reichkub, who's uh, in Twenty Four and the Larry Sanders Show, mm. who I've never met before on on Zoom, and uh, ended up talking. But it was you know, I ended up talking to her about my testicles <laughs> in early doors, and she was she was really lovely and great, and so that was interesting. And then the week after. The operation, I'd had Jeremy Paxman lined up for ages to do the podcast and I didn't want to miss that, so we, we did it. But having something to do and, you know, you, you have this operation and you walk out of hospital, admittedly a little bit gingerly, but you walk, you walk out. Uh, so it's, it's not... The, the chemo was a little bit harder, but again, comparatively to other people, extremely light. Um, but I, yeah, So I probably took a week off for that, but I'd, I'd, I'll, have, I'll have got a podcast in hand. But I wanted to keep working, and I didn't want it to defeat me, I think, and I think mm-hmm. that was... And I think there might have been a part of it that was, um, as much as I don't think it is anything to do with masculinity, and as much as I feel my manliness, whatever that is, is inherent in me somewhere else, and is a broad spectrum, and it's, you know, we don't have to conform to whatever other people think it is, I think there was a part of me that thought, I've got to do... You know, I want to do these things. I want to run a half-marathon to prove to myself somehow that, you know, I'm not, that I'm not lessened by this, I suppose. Yeah, um, sure. uh, And, you know, and, you, and you're not, you know, it's, it's, it, do, it doesn't, even if you lose, you know, more than one ball, even if you, you know, it's, it's there's, there's things that can be done to help, to help you through. And so it's, it's, it's a weird thing and it's a frightening thing. And obviously I was worried about whether it would affect, you know, my love life and all that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, 
I think it's good to talk about it because, you know, again, most of those worries when you talk about them sort of disappear. And even talking to guys who've lost both of their testicles, um, you know, there's hormone, you know, there's testosterone injections and, and things that can help you through that as well. So it's, you know, it was, I, it, it did feel weird that, it, that it, this landed in my lap, so to speak, as <laughs> almost like the perfect person for it to happen to um, in terms of communicating all of this. But, yes. you know, even... even and we did have... Me, Katie Mean, as you said, did have a discussion about whether I would be open about it. It'd be very difficult not to be open about it because, I, you know, I blog every day and I do podcasts and it was clear something was going on. Mm. Um, but I didn't talk about it really until the, the evening of the operation. Um, but equally, by doing that, it was, it was helpful to other people who, who were worried about stuff. And there's been at least two or three people who, you know, even before the book's come out, have told, said I went to get checked out because of you and... I've had the same thing happen, and thank you, which is amazing. But equally, what I wasn't anticipating was obviously you get loads of messages from people who've been through it, which yes. was, especially on the day of the operation, was incredible to people who say, oh, this happened to me 30 years ago, don't worry about it, I'm, it's going to be fine. Just to have that communication both ways. But I was amazed also about them, you know, two or three people who I knew quite well who said, oh, yeah. It came out. Yeah, it came out yeah. and said, I'm a one, you know, that, that it happened to them. Because people, some people don't want to talk about it, which is also fine, obviously. But <laughs> it's sort of interesting that for some people it, it was, it's something they're all not quite ashamed of, but certainly don't want to talk about in public. And, I mean, at the risk of accidentally complimenting you, you have <laughs> always had this combination of this incredibly childish sense of humour. But at the same time, you're interested in really quite big philosophical questions. Yeah. And so, yes, all right, sometimes you'll write a show about growing a Hitler moustache, but that's not really what the show will be about. It'll be about something a lot more complicated and interesting than that because your kind of magpie brain jumps from one shiny story to another to another to another. So I kind of assume that you're right. It really couldn't have happened to somebody who would... would, And and you do say in the book that, in a way, it's lucky it happens during COVID because you weren't out on tour you were making everything at home. Yeah. You were making all the podcasts at home. You weren't having to travel as much. So it allowed you to keep making this work right the yeah. way through the process. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was... A lot of that was, you know, yes, the, it, was, it, was, it was sort of fortunate. Um, and it was, you know, I was, I was in a lucky position as a comedian because we'd actually just set up this whole system like the week before the lockdown. And not... We'd sort of planned to do it. We'd start... Thought we'd start doing like a few little videoed things on Twitch and stuff. And so I actually had this, you know, when in the first few weeks and months after uh, the, uh, during lockdown, the stuff I was broadcasting from my attic was better quality than what was on the TV because mm. nobody had high definition cameras in their, in oh, their yeah. houses. Oh, yeah, microphones. Stuff. I yeah. had to make the series of my radio show, series whatever that would have been, seven, yeah. in my iPhone, right. sitting on the, on the floor of my laundry cupboard because I live over train tracks. Right. So the trains, even though they were reduced, were still going past. Yeah. And we couldn't get microphones because, as I shouldn't say on the record, because the BBC had quite rightly sent them all out to journalists. Yeah. And so it's like, what? Well, we'll just do it on my phone. It'll be fine. <laughs> and it was fine. But yeah, so it was, you know, luckily, and a lot of, you know, again, I was sort of worried about comedians through the lockdown. I was sort of worried about other people all the way through this. But uh, I was in a position where I was still able to, to do, my, do most of my job. And, you know, and I wasn't doing that much live stuff. So, yeah, it was, you know, there was, you know, it, it, you start to feel like things are sort of planned somehow. But, you know, obviously it's not. It's just a happenstance. But it's, um, but yeah, it, was, it, was, it worked out well. And, I, you know, and I think it's. You know, I'm really glad to get this book out there because I think it will be one of those things that um, if anyone's worried or anyone's going through this, I think it'll be a useful thing to read because, A, you see someone go through and come out the other side. 
but also I think that, you know, I think humour is the way to go. If it's not the way to go for you, then obviously don't buy a humorous book about it <laughs> if you think cancer has to be t- taken very seriously. But, I, but, I, but also it made me think, you know, I think uh, you hear the word cancer and you think, oh, that person is going to die because they've got cancer, you know. So that's what I think when I heard I've got cancer or might have cancer, I thought, oh, I'm going to die. And that's, you know, that obviously is true for some people, but for a lot of people it's not the case. And a lot of increasingly cancers are survivable um, and so I think, you know, I think resetting that thing in people's brains, because I think, you know, I don't think positivity gets you through, right? I don't think it's a battle against cancer. If, it, if it's a battle, it's a battle between the doctor and the cancer, mm. and you're the battlefield. You know, I didn't do anything that made me survive this, except get put under anaesthetic and have it taken off. But I think positivity can't, can't hurt. And so I think as long as you're, I think the minute you, the minute you start to get depressed about it or to go into yourself about it. I think that's, that's a dangerous place. As I said, you're backstage. Um, I found this year more difficult than the year, of the, you know, because I think you get a bit more time to think about it. I wrote a book about it, and I think, you know, there's a little bit of residual stuff to work through that, that comedy can't help you with, but, but then equally, you know, I think the psychological impact is something that doesn't really get treated very much, so you've got to work your way through that yourself. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So what was it like going back? Because in order to write this book, you went back to the blogs. You, you blog every single day, yep. and you have done for 20 years. For 20 years. years, almost exactly. I think today, the one I wrote today is the 20th anniversary. Happy anniversary. Every single, every single day for 20 years. But as a, if, you're a writer, if you're a writer, I would really recommend it. I mean, you don't have to put it online, but if you... I would, there was lots of things that were fantastic for the book that I would have completely forgotten about. Really, the family life stuff. Mm. Uh, it may, a, it gets everything in order, and you know, you know when things happened. But also... You can't help, but even when I hadn't, wasn't openly talking about it, 
um, you can't help but it it seeps through, so yeah, you, yeah. you get a feeling of it. But I think all the family life stuff. There's a there's. I, I was sort of trying to create memories for my daughter, particularly because my son I thought was too young to remember if I did die. And then it snowed one day, and we and I, they were very excited and thought oh, we'll make a snowman. They'll always they'll remember this. We'll make a snowman, and we were making a snowman in the garden because it was winter. We hadn't cleared up all the the cat shit that was in the garden. <laughs> And so we are rolling these, these snowmen and they were just covered in shit. <laughs> and you think this is the moment that my daughter made a separate snowman that fell apart when she put the carrot in and she was crying. Because and she you... had just exploded its head. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's just like, and I don't think I'd have remembered that. And there's another, then there's a lovely uh, thing where we went to fly a kite successfully, which turned into this thing that could be a memory. But again, I'm not sure I would have thought of it if I hadn't blogged about it. So to be able to go back to the blog and see how everything happens, see what you're thinking about, and really pick out those... I mean, my blog is... is I just pick a funny thing from the day... You know, I write it the day after, uh, from the day before, usually, or just try to find something funny to write about. Sometimes you don't manage it, or sometimes you just have to say what happened uh, and hope something comes up. But So it's not like this is everything I did in the day, but it's but it's... Oh, that incident! You, you'll pick on the incident that probably is is most important to you. So it's a great tool, I think, and also just to become a better writer. I've written a thousand words every single day for twenty years, and I've got quite good at t- turning boring incidents <laughs> into slightly interesting things to read about. But it's much more for myself, and it, 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 for this book, it was invaluable because my memory is so shot now. I don't think I'd have remembered half the stuff and what about when you listen back to the podcast that you recorded there's a moment where you you're really surprised by how relaxed you sound the night before surgery yeah but i bet you did too i bet you were just making stupid jokes exactly the same way you would have any other time but you know it was a really it was a really good thing to because just it took you know we did talk about it but for a bit but it but just to talk to a complete stranger for an hour about her and about uh, stupid Mm. stuff was absolutely absolutely the perfect thing to do because otherwise you would have just been sitting there stewing over this stuff and I think like there was again I think I'd forgotten about I sort of there was I did a sort of stupid Twitter stunt mini version of like a charity thing because I'd been googling myself and and come across another Richard Herring who'd got a Just Giving page because he'd uh, because he died and he was doing this scholarship for kids in America somewhere and I just thought oh this is you know this is funny that I might I might be dying on the operating table tomorrow so let's raise some money for this guy almost as a sort of a, a nice prank Yes, and uh, we sort of made that you know me and my Twitter followers made that hit its target, and so that sort of stupid distraction was was exactly what was sort of required. And I think you know I think that's I think by by carrying on working and by carrying on doing that, I think it really did help me through because yeah I was I, it, yeah it's just I don't I wasn't relaxed underneath, but um, but yeah it was it was a very, it was a, a, a re- Mary Lynn was you know I've never seen her before or since. Uh, she somehow found out my address and sent me like a bunch of flowers that arrived like two or three days later. It's That's so like the nicest story. So, <laughs> so nice, but it's such a nice thing to do. Uh, but she was, you know, it's sort of we have that little connection mm. from this sort of personal moment, I guess, where she, you know, she had to cope. She had to cope with suddenly this guy interviewing her. He's about to have a testicle removed, and she was very funny. We were very, you know, she was very funny about it. I mean, lucky comedians is all I can say. But yes. Yeah. They are who you need in these moments. Yeah. Can we talk a bit, therefore, about the comedian who is probably most included in this story uh, since she's not here? Um, Katie is 
I, all the bits with Katie have made me cry in this book. <laughs> and you're quite open about saying she's having a harder time than you. Yeah. Almost all the way through. I think it really, but I think it is. And I think that's an, a good thing to mention as well in all of this is that the partner or the family of the person are in a much worse position than mm. the person going through it, I think. Because, you know, you, she had to look after the kids while I was in bed. Uh, she was, you know, she, it's obviously a worry for her, for losing. If she's worried about losing her partner, then that's a massive, massive thing, obviously. And um, but equally, she she's quite, you know, I'm a very positive person, and she's a, quite a negative person. So she likes to dwell on the the things that could go wrong, and it works well in a relationship because if it was all positive, it would be terrible, and if it was all negative, it'd be terrible. So we work quite well. But she had to be <laughs> like positive about yeah. it. She wasn't allowed to go. Oh God, this is terrible. This is awful for me. Yeah, how am but I ever going to find a man to drink all that whiskey? Exactly. <laughs> I think she'll be fine. Uh, I think she'll do it quite easily. But it's but yes, and, and she was going through various uh, things, you know. But it, it, for me, it felt like a holiday. I was like two weeks in bed, not having to look after the kids. Um, it was kind of you know. I was thinking about having the other one taken off so I could just have another another rest, another rest, and lie in bed. It was amazing. And she had a she had a problem with her wisdom teeth and had her wisdom teeth taken out. I think the same week that uh, I had my testicle taken out. And, you know, any other time, that would be, oh, Katie, you know. Yeah, let me look after you. I'll look after the kids (laughs) so you can have a rest. uh, She had to carry on. And also, if she complained, you go, yeah, I had my testicle taken off. That's that's worse than a tooth. (laughs) But, no, you know, I think that's where you, you know, it, it really made me appreciate... Everything I had in my family, and, and you know, and and the the fragility of it, but also you know how how wonderful it is to to have to have it and uh, and to have someone there for you, which you know I haven't had through a lot of my life. So um, yeah, it was it's that's what I mean. I think that's why I think it was such a positive experience, um, and just in just in just slightly recalibrating your brain to go, okay, now I really you know I'll think very carefully about. Will I do that job? Will I do that gig? It'll take me away from home for two nights and I'll get, you know, not, they're not really paying me anything. Shall I just say I won't do that now? You know, yeah. so, and, that, and that's where, so when, when I'm doing a job that, you know, I think, well, it's worth doing this job for the family and, if it, you know, and it's not worth doing this job for the family. So it made me, you know, it made me, I'm, I'm in a lucky position where I was spending a lot of time with my family anyway, but it really made me think, yeah, absolutely, this is, my focus is that and anything else is just to help the help with that uh, yeah. situation and she's especially heroic because covid restrictions meant she couldn't come into the hospital with you yeah so she just waited in the car park yeah I told how many her to, hours for i told her to go home i know you did <laughs> she, she went she sat in the car park i'm pretty sure mainly in the car park for um like ages because we went in we got there way too early which i always do so we were there like at seven o'clock in the morning and i they wouldn't let me go until i'd done a wee and i couldn't do a wee so they, I drank a whole jug of weak lemon drink, and uh, and I, I couldn't, and I felt I kept falling asleep, and I could tell they wanted me to go. But she was there for probably eight or nine hours in the car park waiting for me to come out. Didn't drive the car around to pick me up though. She made me walk to the car. Oh. So. <laughs> character building. Yeah. That's how I describe it. <laughs> so I mean, your encounters with the NHS are almost uniformly positive. Yeah. Um, you get one slightly grumpy nurse, but basically <laughs> everyone is really nice to you. Everyone gives you lots of information. Yeah. Everyone checks that you know what's happening to you okay. before they do it. Yeah. And your only criticism in the entire book is it would have been quite nice to see those statistics a bit earlier. Yeah, I think they don't tell you the statistics of, 
you know, testicular cancer has basically a 95 to 99% survival rate if it's... The danger with it, if, if you leave it too late, really. There are a couple, I think, that are, are a bit more vicious. So, you know, a, but a very small percentage of people die. I think if when they said this might be testicular cancer, they'd said, but don't worry, because that has a 98% survival rate. That would have made the two months, next two months, a bit easier. But they waited until it was confirmed as cancer <clears throat> to tell me. So that I would say... You know, if that's the rule that you're not allowed to talk about cancer until it's definitely cancer, mm. then change that rule because I think you know it's good to get. I think even even if it's a bad news, even if this is a five percent chance of survival, I think it's better to know. I would want to know up front about what what the chances are and whether whether you need to think about you know <laughs> what what you need to do if it's bad news. So yeah, that was. I mean, that's a very minor criticism as well because it didn't. In, in a way, it was good for me to really consider my own mortality and to think that it was worse than it was because it, it did you know i think that was what was positive about it um but uh, yeah it was phenomenal work for, you know and like i can't believe the way the nhs are being treated now after every, you know even if it was just talking about covid everything that, that we all went through in those two years with the nhs and the incredible work they did and then being still happy and cheerful and uh, you know, and and doing their job when with something unconnected and getting you know and saving lives, and there's any question about you know why we're why we're not funding them properly, why we're not paying people properly. It just infuriates me that you know that we we are all you know it's not enough to stand on the doorstep applauding. That's nice, but we need to reward these people for doing this amazing job and treat them properly. So you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm a, I've always been a big fan of the H- NHS. Um, but, you know, I don't think if I'd chosen to go private, um, I don't think it would have been any quicker or any, mm. or any more efficient. And, 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 you know, so it's, it's um, you know, I'm glad that we, the NHS treated me and they did a fantastic job. So. And you, we talked a little bit earlier about your sort of survivor's guilt, but you have had later scares and they've continued to look after you and yeah. make you feel like nothing that you've gone in with is, is somehow not something they should be bothering with. No. Like every time you've spoken to them, they've... Yeah, they've always seen like me very important. quickly. You know, you're paranoid. One is paranoid after something like this has happened. And I was, you know, I'm always a bit paranoid. But I've had, I've had two or three actual things. that None of them are uh, entirely without concern, but they've all turned out to be nothing. But they're absolutely... Um, you know, I said I had, a, I had like a lump in my side, um, which I still have, uh, which because I lost some weight, basically, it was just like it's a little fat deposit. But, they, you know, he knew what it probably was, but they completely saw me within two days to double check and mm. scanned me again. Um, and, yeah, and then, then I had, a, I've had an incident with the other testicle, which again turns out to be nothing, but was way more frightening than the first time because you sort of think, oh, no, it's back, but it turned out to be nothing. But, yeah, they, they couldn't be... You know, they, if you have a problem, if you have any worries, they will they will see you about it, and so it's yeah, it's been absolutely terrific. And you've become a, a huge spokesperson, a men's health ambassador <laughs> and fundraiser over the last couple of decades. Did you expect to be this? I feel like it's sort of your your perception of it is well, this just sort of happened by mistake. Yeah, and I I kind of accept that, and yet at the same time, I wonder if if you really don't see quite how, quite how kind of clear your your instincts are you've always had this need to just go well why isn't someone raising money for them and you're like yeah. well i'd better do it then give it here <laughs> well you know but it's yeah i mean i'm more interested in the communication i'm more interested in, you know the, the international women's day thing is entirely just like why are you being 
such a dick, you know, why the, the, this makes men look bad. It's not, you know, the, fucking Google it before you ask the question because you just look stupid. It was, that, was, that was really it. And, and I think those guys make men look bad. And if you care about men's rights, then go to International Men's Day or Movember, which is a whole month. So ironically, I'd done Movember in the November before this happened. And, and then, so don't do Movember because then you get, then you get, the, Got it, you get yeah. the diseases. Um, so I'd raise money, but I didn't know, so I'd raise it for myself anyway, so that was quite nice, yes. for once. Uh, but, so yeah, no, you know, I just, it's about the communication, but it's about, you know, it's really, every, the impetus is always spotting something that's funny or stupid. Uh, you know, Hitler moustache is like, why is, why is that moustache not acceptable? Why is that only associated with Hitler and not Charlie Chaplin? And why, what, you know, why is it, why, does, why is a very popular moustache now not popular? I know the answer, but there's lots of, there's lots of interesting stuff we can have around that. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's spotting that little thing and then thinking, well, what can I do with this? I mean, I love, I love something that's a tiny, stupid thing that you spend much too much time doing. So the International Men's Day thing is, is a very good example of that. But, but many of my podcasts are about me taking a si- very silly idea and then doing them for 10 years or 15 years, whatever. Um, uh, so I love that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's, it's, so it is a little bit about ed- educating. My, pa- my, pa- my family are all teachers, and maybe there's a part of me that, you know, feels like... Let's talk about stuff and, and have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. But it, but most of it's also about my own. You know, it's about myself and wanting to. I, I guess that it's not polemical because it's about you know here's my concerns about this and here's where I'm being stupid and this is what I'm worried about. Let's talk about it and see what happens. And I'm not trying to give answers to most things, but I think for men the answer, I mean, I, you know, and for women to be fair, but women I think are a little bit better at it. Is just to talk about stuff that is worrying you and not, and not have to, you know, it's, and, and it is that machismo that, that prevents men from going in to talk about issues they've had, it prevent, you know, that makes men unhappy. So, and, you know, and, and all those international men, they go, well, men, male suicide's high. And, yeah, it is because, you know, we're not, to, we, the answer is to talk about it and, and work together. It's not about making it into a fight between men and women, which is, is this isn't a fight between men and women. Yeah. This, is, this is a fight between men and high-profile men who are making them, you know, go to war and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, yeah, anyway. But, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to do something serious whilst doing something really, really stupid. But, yeah, I, I kind of, there's plenty of stupid things that I've done um, around uh, testicles. Um, to, yeah, I think it's a funny. I think this is a, a pretty funny book for a, a, for a story about someone having cancer. Well, speaking of um, funny things you've done around testicles, Richard. Yes. Um, I saw you for the first time since your diagnosis and uh, treatment in the summer. Yes. When we were recording our audio books at the same studio next door to one another, and you were predictably there early, and I was equally predictably <laughs> late. Um, and I got there, and my producer was almost overwhelmed with delight and glee um, because you had brought... Would you like to share with the ladies and gentlemen yeah, what well, you had brought? Well, I was doing a puppet show over uh, lockdown where I have a ventriloquist dummy that my great-granddad made, and then uh, we started adding to this stuff. It was a sort of improvised show. And so when I had the testicular cancer, I kind of thought, I wonder whether I can do... I really, again, this was something I had an internal battle over whether it was a good idea or not. I thought, should I make a puppet of my excised testicle? A and, question I'm sure many of you have asked. <laughs> and would that, be, would that be helpful for me to talk to my testicle about what had happened and why 
it had decided to kill me after all the good times we'd had together. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and whether I was to blame. And I kind of, I did think very hard. And also I had to then email the, the guy who makes my puppets and say, would you mind making me a puppet? And he was very, he was very up for it. He did it very quickly. Yeah. I've now got a picture on my wall of all the various prototypes <laughs> that he suggested. And we picked one of them. So he really went for it. So, yeah, I kind of thought, will that, you know, and the joke is, is this a good way to process this? Uh, and I'm not sure it is or not, but so I've, I've got a. I, I, I can reveal him to you if you like. He's in my Movember bag. Uh, do some more. It was Movember. part next to the fruit bowl when I got to shoot. <laughs> no kidding. Well, I had to do. I, had, I did an extra for the audio book where I where I improvised a conversation with with this guy. <clears throat> I'm very glad I did it as the last thing because I'd gotten very well with my engineer. And then, oh, he was nice. He was really nice. Yeah. But then after I talked to my testicle for 20 minutes... Less so. He was, I think he would have been weirded out if that had been the first yeah, thing that yeah. happened. Uh, so this is uh, right bollock. <laughs> uh, so he's got a little plaster over his... Yes, I didn't have a, I didn't have a lump, but it, is, it has a lump. And so, yeah, I decided to... And with all the puppets, I kind of just let them talk first and see what they come out as. And uh, he just came out... I'm from Yorkshire originally, but he come... I don't, this is no comment if you are from Yorkshire... But uh, he's come out as a Yorkshire testicle. Eee, on the right, bollock. Eee, look at all these things. Look at this, it's terrible. Look, they're all here to see you talk about having your door cut off. Eee, on the right. It's a very small room. Isn't there a bigger room to play here? No, I'm doing all of this. Sold out. Yeah, sold out with a load of middle class. Stop being rude. <laughs> so he's a horrible... He's just a horrible... And it's quite an interesting... <laughs> thing to deal with so he's just he, he sort of says the most you know it's why it's sort of weird when your own body sort of rebels against you in this way and tries to it's sort of self-defeating and i think i've known people in my life who seem bent on revenge even if the revenge will destroy them as well yes and so it's sort of i'd sort of channel those people through this testicle uh, and it i don't know whether it's helped me or not to talk to him really I find, it, I find it okay when I'm on my own. I find it deeply embarrassing to do it in front of folks. Eee, <laughs> you fucking shit. No, sorry, I'll put him away. Yes, it didn't stop you from bringing it. It didn't. Well, you, asked, you asked me. You told me to bring it. Uh, but I like him. And I did, we, there's, you know, there's, uh, if you, certain websites had little versions of him you could, uh, you could win or, or buy. So, uh, yeah. Hopefully it'll be a big Christmas character. I would think. <laughs> At yeah, some point. I would think. But yeah, it, I think it was quite it was quite good just to, you know, to have it out and and with the testicle and discuss. I mean I've got quite a few I'd quite like to do a film about an excise testicle that just keeps on growing and and is trying to hunt me down and kill me and becomes like the size of the those balls at the end of uh, that attacked him in the prison, if oh, you remember yeah, that. Yeah. They sort of chasing him around the beach. Trying, trying to inflatable trying to you know, trying to kill you because it's sort of it's that it's that weird it's that within, but you know you do neglect the balls as a man. I think you know you don't. It's often, they're often a second. A, the, the charismatic front man uh, often t- takes most of the attention. The balls are very much the two blokes who stood at the back in East Seventeen doing that. That is, you don't. If, if you're noticing them, Brian Harvey's doing something wrong, isn't he? So it's. Um, so you know, I think we do. I think you know there is an element where you think I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't given the ball my balls all the care they should have had over the years. So maybe that's where the revenge comes from. But I think that's that's kind of was an interesting thing to explore. And also, I think sometimes you need to cut those people out of your life. So you know, there's a there's a metaphor in there sometimes for for, for losing a ball. But yeah, it's not 
It's you know, it's 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 not the end of the world. You know, you still have another. The other testicle has uh, upped his game. My uh, testosterone levels are still okay. I can't tell you about volume. I didn't do a before and after. Um, I think we're all disappointed, Richard. Uh, but he's he moves to the middle, so it's like he's, he's realised that the double bed's empty, <laughs> and he's very he's very happy. So you know, it's uh, it's it's a it's an okay life. I've still got. Slightly above the average number of testicles, so it's... Um... <laughs> Let's call that a win. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm hoping that some of you have questions that you'd like to ask Richard, and we have got some roving microphones lurking, one over there at the very least. So does anyone have a question for lovely Richard Herring? Or are you all too meek? Aha! Not meek. Hi, Richard. Hello. Um, just finished treatment for breast cancer, so I, I get a lot of what you're saying. Sure. And as you, were ta- as you were talking, two things occurred to me. One is I need a puppet of my boob now. Yeah. <laughs> Give it a try. And uh, the other is um, where is your testicle? What did they do with it? Yeah, it's a good question. That is, a good, well, that is the question the book asks. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I did want to ask for it back. To, to, yeah. That was when, when, that, when I was first told it was definitely going to come out. The, the, the doctor said, have you got any questions? And I really wanted to say, can I have it back? Uh, but I chickened out, actually, of doing it. Uh, because I'm, partly because I was doing Taskmaster and I thought it'd be a really good item for the, for the first round. Where you bring in an item. Um, but I did, in the audiobook, I talked to my oncologist about it. And apparently, they, I don't think it'd be recognisable as a testicle, but they keep them, everything... Uh, as I'm sure they will have done for you if you've, if you've lost material, and they will, they, in case they need to go back to it. So it's somewhere in storage. Uh, is, uh, I have to think uh, there's a couple of people who've, who've I know I better not mention names just in case they don't want to be outed, but there's a couple of people I've had a discussion with about uh, bits of our bodies being <laughs> in something in the storeroom somewhere. Then maybe there's a little celebrity section. I hope so, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I, I don't think I want it back. I'm quite squeamish, and I don't think I'd like to see it, but there's a part of me. I thought about making it into earrings or something, or an, an earring. <laughs> Eventually, maybe two earrings. You never the other, know. If the other one goes. <laughs> it's an option. Yeah, we've got a question down here as well. Oh, yeah, but the people are listening at home on the live stream won't be able to hear you. So You can shout you can loud enough to, just to hear, go, go around the world. Uh, yes, just to follow up from that, how would you feel? Would you feel as relaxed if you saw Matt Hancock eating it tomorrow? <laughs> I think that would be a just punishment for him to have to eat a cancerous testicle. They have, they haven't, I don't think they've gone that far yet. I don't Here's know. Richard Herring's. He's donated this to you for eight stars. Um, yeah, well, you know, I, I'm not particularly happy about him uh, being in the, in, in the jungle and uh, after everything that's happened. Uh, so, yeah, that would be... I don't know if you can, yeah, you get, you get, you get the power, don't you? They used to, I mean, in the old days, people used to um, chop off genitals and I think sometimes, you know, they, I don't know if they ate. Do you know about this? I think I'm, I'm trying to, from, from my talking cock book, it's too, too, like, you know, it was a, you make piles of your enemy's genitals, but I'm sure there, there must be, there was, there was no sort of belief that if you ate your, your enemy's body that you would get their strength. So hopefully if uh, Matt Hancock eats my testicle, he'll get... No, I won't say that. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't even wish that on Matt Hancock, but uh, there we you go. You are good. Do I have any more for any more? Is that someone at the back? Yes. Thank you. Yeah, given your age, that you, you're sort of mid-50s, yeah. 
Um, it strikes me that there's a bit of a background to this, which is to do with, which you've often spoken about this evening, which is men coming to terms with themselves and asking questions that were being asked initially by the women's liberation movement, which I experienced very much at university in the early 80s. And it strikes me that that is something that has slightly dipped in people's consciousness, that, that we, need, we need quite often the questions that women ask of us, of the other sex, are things that we actually either don't answer or don't feel we can answer or reply to purely, purely with aggression. And do you, do you feel, was that something that you experienced when you were in your 20s or do you still feel that? I mean, I think a lot of men, I think if, if I understand what you're saying, I think a lot of men um, see uh, women wanting to have equality as being a negative thing and then go, but what about where men aren't equal, which often those statistics are slightly skewed. But, the, the, you know, I think it's just understanding that feminism isn't, isn't isn't aggressive. I think some men feel it's an act of aggression against them to have someone say, uh, "I want to be equal," but it's equally it's you know it's the same. If men men men's rights people who have found you know on the extremes to be you know quite aggressive um, don't seem to understand that if you know if feminists are successful, then that's equality. You know, equality is for everyone, so it works. So we should all be working together. And I really the other the other but the problem with men. Is sort of you know I it was only through writing that book that I really had the realization that you know men are, are sort of being edged towards seeing feminists or women as the the, the problem. Like if you're going oh well more you know forty percent of domestic violence victims are men. You go well you know that might be true if you're including every single type of uh, violence, but equally it's not like you know we're saying we're only going to help women. You know we want to help everyone with all of those. With all of those issues, so I think it's understanding that the men seem complicit in wanting to. You know, I think those guys when the in Trafalgar Square who just when the Winston Churchill statue was under threat, who were sort of just fighting anyone who came near them. That's that sort of really made me think these guys just they don't know what they want. They don't know who their enemy is. They're sort of fighting each other, and they don't realise that the the status quo that they're protecting is not women that. Uh, the problem with any of this, and maybe in your individual life, you might have a problem with a woman, but that's 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 not the issue. You know, it's it's the the men or the elites that are that are, that are making this situation where men aren't talking and are committing suicide or going to war and all these things. So I think it's about shifting that perception and understanding that um, you know fem- feminism isn't an, you know isn't an act of aggression. You can find instances as you come with everything of an aggressive feminist, and that's the stereotype that people wanted to perpetuate. But I think most, most you know, it's about equality. So it's, it's and, and all those things will help men. If you, if you talk more and if you, you know, I, I think most, we're talking about the thing that, again, the surprise, the, the, often you do these shows or these books and something very obvious sort of strikes you that you've never really thought about. And I think I went into Talking Cock thinking, oh, women don't really like men and see men as being aggressive. And, and then you realise, you know, most of the women who responded to my questionnaire love the man they're with if they're, if they're with a man. Most women love having sex. 
it's you know it's it's not it isn't it's not this it's not as kind of cut and dried as you, as you think and and most people like each other and most most men are reasonably decent and most most women are reasonably decent and we can get on together so you know it's 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 about sort of understanding those human truths but i've i've found very very much so in writing books like this that there are guys who um you know who really won't let it go the, the whole the whole international men's day that you know i will get sent the same memes of of why men are why it's men who aren't equal and you kind of go it's, it's irrelevant even if they are you know it's, we're, we're aiming for equality let's have equality for everyone that will that'll sort you out as well any more for any more yes one over here we're just gonna sorry we're making you zigzag across the yeah. entire room every time it's a bit of a handbrake after that. What are your favourite words for testicles? Uh, oh, very good question. There's a I, book can, for... can we shout them out as well? <laughs> if you've got any. There are less for testicles than there are for... I did, in Talking Cock, I tried to use a different euphemism pretty much every time. Uh, with testicles, it was harder. Um, I, uh, I've come up with a few myself. I kind of liked comparing them to a, a slightly less wrinkly version of the Chuckle Brothers. It's one of my favourite. Uh, and, you know, we've lost one of those as well now. And, uh, <laughs> Arguably the best one, so you know it's um, and the McSquirter twins. I like. I came up with that for for talking cock. That's uh, I think. Uh, um, have, have you what, what? What are your ones? Have you got one you want to shout out? <laughs> You're conferring. You seem to be very keen to shout out. I mean, they go. <laughs> I think again. I mean, I love Viz and I love the Viz Profanosaurus and I love that art, the kind of poetry of the gutter that comes up. That you know, there's very artistically poetic. Uh, euphemisms and uh, metaphors that come up in that. I think it's. I think it's uh, where where literature is at its best is where the common people are coming up with the most disgusting <laughs> euphemisms and stuff. But yeah, there aren't enough for testicles, so we have to. We'll have to make up some more of our own. Monks in a sack race. Monks in a sack race. That's not bad. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I, this, uh, I was going for hammocks. What was it? It's, I can't. There's someone about a hammock. Um, yeah, there's, buy the book, and uh, there's, there, there's there's plenty to keep you going in there. There really, really are. There, um, there are little kind of fact sections at the end of each chapter, many of which will help you with just such a question. <laughs> I wonder what vast array of terms <laughs> men might have come up with to describe their body. But I think that was interesting in researching. You know, there's a lot of history and, and that sort of thing. But I think the biology of testicles is so fascinating, and they are sort of ridiculous and they're ugly. And there's all sorts of, you know, there's a, there was, there's a theory that testicles have evolved to be so vulnerable as a kind of peacock's tail to attract women going, look how vulnerable my testicles are, that's how strong I am, which I do not think is true. It but gets me every time. But and I don't think anyone claiming that, te- you know, I don't, I don't, I, there, there will be women out there and people out there who, who judge someone by their testicles, but it isn't the most aesthetically pleasing part of the human body, I would say. Uh, but I think the... All the mechanics of the way they move up and down and the, and the temperature control, which is a bit different than you might actually have been led to believe, is really fascinating. It is. And, they're, they're, and, and, you know, the, the, in your lifetime, fellas, you'll make uh, enough sperm to fill half a bath. Which, <laughs> slight disappointing, it's a slightly disappointing amount, isn't it? But with a friend, you can fill the... I always wonder why flat shares don't do better. um, Ladies and gentlemen, Richard will be signing copies of Can I Have My Ball Back in the bookshop right now. So please do join me in saying, A, I'm so glad you're better. And B, thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you, Natalie. Beautiful. Thank you, darling. 
Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. No, this isn't a podcast about milk. If you like historical intrigue, a bit of culture and a sprinkling of controversy, this one's for you. I'm Rachel Stewart and I'm travelling around Europe, following the hidden history of everyday things as they're exported through time and around the world, by force, by chance or by choice. No need to pack your bags. Just subscribe to Don't Drink the Milk wherever you listen to podcasts. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Thank you very much for listening to my podcasts. Listen to some more. Tell your friends about these podcasts. We're in a very competitive market and it would be lovely to keep those downloads coming in. The more downloads we get, the more money we make and the more podcasts we can make for you. It's a beautiful symbiotic relationship. Come and see me on tour at richardherring.com. But otherwise, just, you know, go outside. Enjoy the spring air. It's beautiful out there. I love you all. Goodbye.